Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, I'm Gary Mansfield, and welcome to the Mizog Art Podcast, where each week I'll be speaking to a different artist. Now let's begin by banging these bongos. Yeah, right. Crazy. Hello everyone, here we are at episode 4 of the Mizog Art Podcast. This week we're in the studio with Miss Carrie Reichart, Mad in Chiswick, and hopefully you listened last week to Bob Osborne and had the opportunity to look up their combined show and book, Cash is King, which showcases a lot of artists from all around the world who have defaced banknotes in one way or another, myself included. And if you didn't get around to it, have a look this week, Cash is King, it's all over Instagram, you can look at Carrie Reichart or Bob Osborne, who is Rebel Not Taken. And if there's any books left, you can purchase them on Bob's website, which is rebelnottaken.com. They're £15 each, plus P and P. Or you can get them from the Saatchi Gallery. Also this month, Ray Richardson has got his solo show, Made in London, not to be confused with Mad in London. That's Made in London in Bow Arts in Maddox Street in London. That's running from the 5th to the 29th of September. Ray and I are still to record his podcast, but as soon as he gets Made in London out of the way um, and he's got a little bit of time to relax, then we'll get together and, uh, well, we normally have a chinwag anyway, just this time it'll be getting recorded. I've got just a few more artist names just to highlight the quality of podcasts we've got coming up. Um, other confirmed artists are Ben Oakley, Horace Penter. I always smile when I see Horace Penter's name, not just because, if you don't know, he was a guitarist in um, the specials, who were one of my favourite groups. But he was the very first artist to put himself forward and donate a pair of shoes and a story um, back in 2012, possibly. 
yeah, 2012, to my Walker Mile project. Walker Mile, just quickly, was um, a project where I, f I put out a um, request on Instagram for anyone to donate a pair of shoes and a story or a wrongdoing. They could send me the shoes and that story. And when I received it, I would walk a mile in their shoes. And once I walked that mile, I would read their story. And going by the proverb of never judge a man until you've walked a mile in his shoes, the theory behind the concept was that nobody else was able or had the right to judge that person for anything they had done. Only me, because I was the one who walked a mile in their shoes. I did intend just to do five or ten. Um, it soon went up to 25. And uh, it ended up at... Well, I had stopped it at 93. So I'd walked 93 miles and had 93 stories. But I stopped it seven short of the 100 just so that I could revisit it one day because I knew it was such a beautiful little gem of an idea. Um, I didn't want to finish it, put it aside and it never get brought out to light again. But anyway, I digress. More about Walker Mile in another episode. Getting back to artists who have confirmed. Jonathan Parsons, Claire Partington and Alex Pearl. Getting back to the episode in question, Carrie Reichart. Now, Carrie is not only one of my favourite artists, but she's one of my favourite people. She's such a multi-layered person. She's a renowned mosaic artist, a craftivist. She's vocally opposed to death penalty and an all-round bloody good person. Now, as you know, Carrie's best known for her mosaics and ceramic work. And her amazing house is testament to the quality of her work. And if you've not yet had the pleasure of seeing Carrie's house, just go over to Google put in Carrie Reichart home. Bang. You won't believe it. It's amazing. And as I say, although she's um, better known for her mosaics and ceramic work, there is, during our chat, a little hint that she might be heading towards um, subversing textiles. And as I mentioned earlier, Carrie, along with Bob Osborne, um, have just released a compilation of defaced banknotes by various artists in an hardback book entitled Cash is King. It's being launched at the Saatchi Gallery. And when this comes out, it would have been just a couple of days ago. And it's got the accompanying book, which, as I said earlier, Cash is King, £15 at Rebel Not Taken, which is www.rebelnottaken.com. So I think it's time I shut up and let you listen to the conversation between me and Carrie Reichart. I am here with Carrie Reichart at the treatment rooms in Chiswick. Hello. Hello. <laughs> yeah, so your, this house is, it's got to be the best mosaic house in London, has it? I should think it's the only mosaic house in London, for a start. There's, I think it's probably the only fully mosaic house in the UK. Because I'd, so. seen it, I'd seen the back of it a few years ago. When I come here, what was it, when was it I come here? Two years ago? The front was the front all had the scaffold on, and it was how much was, was done would have been done two years ago. Three, well, oh no, half of it. Uh, the front only ever had half done. That's yeah. why the scaffolding was up there, and that scaffolding had been up for four years. And that, and when did it come off? It came off last. Was it last summer? It came off or around um, this time last year. It was about this time last yeah. year. And I've been here since. Um, we'd come back from where was we? 
me and the family come back from, I think we took the kids to Fort Park and come back on the way. And I said, I want to come back and see it and the scaffold on. And then I've told friends who are coming back from, you know, like West, you know, before you hit the North Circular, pop down to Chiswick and go and see, go and see the house now it's off. The first question I've got is, how would you explain what you do or your style to someone who doesn't know your work? Wow. Um, I would say that I'm a mosaic ceramic artist, but I do work in all media. I mean, I now work in uh, a lot in collage and paper collage with my partner, Bob. And, you know, I've done performance and sculpture and film, but probably what I'm known for is my mosaic house and that I'm known for creating very graphic you know my my the style of the mosaics i do is not normal mosaics people when they hear mosaics they tend to think of dolphins and white yeah, grout exactly and you know they, 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 it, mosaics conjures up a certain aesthetic yeah. it's a de decorative art where you know i don't i see myself more as an artist who's spent a lot of time learning skills a fine artist that spent a lot of time learning craft skills that's then applied them to subvert and yeah. to play around with traditional craft yeah. so you can't really you know you can't say mosaics you know in a sense i don't even think i do mosaics now i think i do printed ceramic collage because i specialized yeah. for a long long time i learned how to print on clay so i spent about eight years at adult college just learning how to put um image onto tile so then i could incorporate all yeah. that into my work so i mean i'm just I, you know, I actually literally will work in any medium or will just get anything and slightly change it and play around well, with I it. When I used to see mosaic, it, it was decorative, but it was it was it never had much of a voice. It, it was rare that you see a bit of mosaic work. Uh, bearing in mind, that's, that's just me look, looking at a piece of, of mosaic work. And uh, But wherever I would see it, it wouldn't be in an arts environment. It would also always be public. Uh, you know, in a shopping centre or, or something like that. But then when I saw yours, it, was, it wasn't it was being quiet at all, was it? it no. It does. You're, no, because... You do I, sort of slap the viewer around the face and say, look at me, don't you? But, but that's what I've always been interested. That's why I like... Because also I get a lot of old vintage china and plates and I'll refire yeah. them and I'll take something that's a very quintessential British plate that everyone has you know they're nostalgic about or conjure certain memories and then slap something on it that's yeah. really inappropriate or funny or well, back wall, twisted some pieces that aren't just no it's not just mosaics charge. because I spent you know I did ceramics for a very long time I went to Richmond Adult College for about eight years I went there three days a week I mean I was I'm very OCD, I mean, about whatever I do, whether it's mosaic, whether it's ceramic, whether it's collage, I'm very prolific, and so I'll just spend a lot of time, and, you know, they say, like, you do 10,000 hours, you're skilled in yeah, something, yeah. well, you know, I've done 10,000 hours in printing, I've done 10,000 yeah, hours in mosaicing, yeah. I've, you know, I've spent a lot of time doing these things, but, yeah, I mean, I think... That's the, one of the uniquenesses about my mosaics is that I can incorporate printed tiles. And as you've seen, you can incorporate a lot of meaning into it. You know, they're multi-layered with, with ideas and things where it's not quite just decorative. And again, kind of the the uh, iconography, the things I'm using are very like, you know, they're lifted from graffiti or lowbrow yeah, yeah. art or, you know, I play around with all of those things because, again, it's just great to turn it into mosaic. But 
Mosaics are universally loved. Yeah. That's the thing. You know, everywhere where people have mosaics, like in uh, Barcelona or in India, you know, any places where these environments... I mean, people do love mosaic. Since I've become interested in your work, I've definitely seen mosaic in a different light because it was just, like, like I just said, it was always just a decorative thing that I would see... But you know you were saying earlier, like, you liked very simple art you like seeing something like even if it's Damien Hirst spots it just it speaks to you I think the thing about mosaic it speaks to a lot of people because people just see little broken bits of beautiful china yeah. or glass and actually I, I I believe that something very innate happens with us and clay mm. it's made of the earth we've you know if you look at the history of ceramics you can see that you know how it's gone side by side with civilization. They've all learned how to. It's an alchemical process in the, in any way. Take earth, put it with flame, create ceramic, yeah, yeah. and so I think on a very deep, subconscious level, we actually all we gravitate towards it, which is why mosaics are universally loved. Mm. But funnily enough, probably derided by especially the art establishment in this country. You know, they're not considered worthy of anything. The VNA doesn't have on display of mosaic collection in fact my tiki love truck going in there was one of the first time they'd exhibited new mosaics in 20 years yeah. you yeah, know when the craft steps. council the craft council just had that whole women's hour craft award yeah. they had 10 different categories including leather work and paperwork but there wasn't a mosaic no. section you know it's not it's you know it's been that association i think with decorative and community has made it you know it's not it's not highbrow it is, it is something that that people feel like they can learn and not learn yeah they can. they can participate they can in, they in can they can and the thing is is they can because the little components they're using are beautiful and you just stick them together and your average person can't tell good mosaics from bad mosaics and just likes it yeah. because of the pure material and also, I've always liked that idea of, like, you take broken bits, you take shattered, broken, smashed up bits, and you to put see. it together and you make a whole. Yeah. And so it's a brilliant medium to work with, with communities, especially people who are damaged, people who have problems, you know. You, you know, you... Over the years, I worked with a group, Living Space Arts, and then the treatment rooms, but essentially the same two people, Karen and her brother Mark, who's ATM, the street artist, yeah. and Karen Francesca, who's also a street artist. But, you know, for the last, over 20 years, we've been using mosaics as a way of working with orphanages or working in uh, people with extreme mental health problems because we know through our own personal experience yeah. That it's meditative it's easy to do you have a huge sense of accomplishment you know you can take us like what i did at aberdeen you know i only had a five-hour project with young people i took a printed tile they made the decoration around it it went on the wall and it was one of the most yeah. popular pieces because although it's although it, it's very time consuming with half a dozen people around a table working on the same one and and you can't see the effects up close either mm. so that's that's the good thing is when you when you stand up and walk away from it, then you can see the people, you know, appreciating what they've just done. I mean, I go into prisons and um, I do these these small paintings with them, but they're only um, just posterised paintings. They're not. They're nothing, you know, advanced. They're only just four different tones of, of grey. But it might be a wrapper or you know something like. And they'll, they'll be standing around doing it, not really getting into it at first, not really understanding what they're doing. It's just a painting by numbers. And then when we finished after a couple of hours. And then I put it on the wall and we stand back the other side. 
and you see the smiles on their yeah, faces yeah. and a bit of that's pride the that thing. they've got that that's they've the, done something. That's the amazing thing. Anyone who's worked using art or craft or worked in that kind of field knows the feel-good yeah. factor and knows how... And it's, and it's all for nothing and you can't buy that. Yeah. You know, you can't buy that bit of pride that you, that you walk away with from there. Totally. And you, you, you've got the, the activist side, which is... Uh, the, the bit that appealed, not that, that appealed to me, but the the bit that that stood out for me was um, the work with the guys on death row that that you done a few years ago. Yeah, I mean, I didn't set out to be an activist. I don't think anyone does. No, I don't even doesn't even sit that well with me. I mean, I know I've said I'm a craftivist, and I think that probably is true. That I mean, it's like an activist, but someone who combines craft with activism. But I saw it less as a form of activism and really a more of a form of like, I started to write to someone on death row and they became my mate. Yeah. And, you know, I think if you don't have anything to do with the criminal justice system, if you don't have anything to do with any of that, which lots of us don't, yeah. you'd think it all works. And it's, you know, it's, it's quite easy to believe, well, you know, you know, no smoke without fire or, you know, to have these ideas that this thing, this thing is set up and it's fair. It's only when you have anything to do with it that you suddenly realise it's a nonsense. Yeah. It doesn't exist. Yeah. It's arbitrary. All of these things. And I think for me, I'd spent my whole life, you know, I didn't have anything to do with any with any of that. But then I wrote to someone on death row. I became their friend. It became personal. I started looking into the facts and figures and understanding how the prison system works and how especially in America it's, it's an extension it. of Jim Crow yeah, I mean it's yeah. slavery it's just slavery under a different name especially the prison you was being in contact with as well it was on the on the bloody plantation wasn't well it? that's that's a different one that was a pat I was writing to the Angola Free who were political prisoners yeah. but unless you actually start make an effort or have any reason to understand this then you suddenly are confronted. Because as a society, we're only fed by the information we read on the news. Well, of course, and, and it's, not just someone... the, it's not even just the news. If you look at how you're informed about death row, the only way you'd be informed about death row is through feature films. Yeah. Every single feature film will have a certain narrative. Every prison, hot, you know, I wrote... When I started writing to someone on death row, and I, I basically saw an advert in the back of the big issue... Yeah that said, could you befriend someone on death row as, as, as an organisation called Human Rights? And I thought, oh, yeah, I could do that. That would be interesting. I did think, oh, I wonder what it's like to write to a serial killer. Yeah. I thought that's... There is a little bit of you think danger that, or... But you think that. Yeah. You think that everyone on death row is a serial killer because why would you yeah. be on death row? You know, that's what you've seen. You've seen it on the new... You know, I had that perception. I thought, well, that would be interesting. I'd quite like to know what somebody... You know, it, it seems it seemed an interesting thing to do to write someone because I'm fascinated yeah. to see why would you do that? How do you do that? You know, I'd read all those horror books like on the Moors murders. I had a fascination for the dark side to see how do you get, you yeah. know. But I wrote very naively, thinking all those preconceived ideas. And then I, I got a letter back that said, you know, oh, thanks for your letter. I see you do mosaics. I've done mosaics in the past. Wow. What kind of nippers did you yeah. use? And it was like... It's humanity it's that also, hits you. Yeah, humanity hits you in the face. Yeah. And then you suddenly realise that all these preconceived ideas, because I think what the main thing they do with prison is they say, certain people go to prison. That's not us. There's yeah. a them and an us in the same way you could say that about, well, let's demonise Muslims and say that, yeah. because if you're going to treat people badly, you have to first demonise them. Exactly. So if we say that people who go into prison are bad people, they're not nice people, we can demonise them and then you don't care what yeah. happens to them. But it's easy, I've, I've noticed society 
can, in an instant, say that good person has just turned bad. When you know, when someone turns out, someone in the limelight turns out to be, I don't know, a, a, a child rapist, you know, in the seventies or something. Straight away, people go, "Bang, he's a demon." But the opposite side to that, when someone has been bad and they make themselves good, you have to fucking work away, chip away, chip away, chip away at society for them to sort of accept you back in again, you know? And I'd also be, you have to accept that, you know, all of this stuff is a kind of a nonsense when you think that so many women in prison are there because they are to do with drug smuggling or... or, or yeah, or, just being users. Yeah, they, but they're being used... Precisely, it's not the people who are doing yeah. it that go to prison. And, and so many people now have got mental health problems or they're there because they're in poverty. Or, you know, if you were to take the section of people who are dangerous... Are violent it's a very small percentage yeah. of the population and then if you look at people who are rich who can avoid paying tax and avoid doing this i mean we all know it there yeah. is one law for for them and one law I for mean, the it's, other it's funny how the, the prison population rose so much a couple of years after the care in the community coming you know them institutions shut down and, Absolutely. and what they do on a day-to-day um day-to-day um uh, I've, I've lost the word, but, but you know, how they work, how their mind works daily in society would be deemed a crime. And the, the, hospital, the relationship of the amount of people who come out of care, care and go straight to prison is yeah. shocking. Or people who come out of the army and end up in prison. Yeah. Or, you know, there's, there is a reason why, you know, people end up there. It's usually because of a breakdown somewhere further on, you know, and... If you look at the American model, you want your population to go in prison if they can be made to work yeah. at a fraction of the price exactly. of anybody else. You've got the cheapest workforce. Well, it's funny when you look at um, um, like pr- prison films from the from the seventies and eighties. You look at the prison population; it's mainly white. Or well, from from the, from the uh, early seventies, you look at the prison population; it's mainly white. And then ten years later, it's mainly black. And that's when they brought in the, the working in the prisons and, and bringing the business into the prisons. So it's modern-day slavery. Well, it is. I mean, because the thing is, in America, when they um, abolished slavery, they opened up the... Um, uh, the I've forgotten what the word is now. The plantations were like Angola. You said Angola Farm is Louisiana State Penitentiary, yeah. a former slave plantation. All they did was they said, right, it's no longer a plantation released the prisoners and then rearrested them under vagrancy laws which were brought out you know around the same yeah. time so they were told you'll get 40 acres and a mule you they yeah. got everyone did yeah. that's why spike lee's film company yeah. is called 40 acres and a mule I, I didn't know that. that's what every person was told they would get when slavery was abolished oh, yeah. nobody ever got anything in fact they were released rearrested put back in i think the average a uh, lifespan for someone on the prison was five years it was worse and it's you know it's this is the thing you know you think oh slavery's abolished well it's it's been turned into a prison a business yeah. and and i think the average prison sentence at angola farm is 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 something like 80 years for every 10 people who walk in there only one person walks out alive and if you think of the level of poverty and things you know this isn't addressed at all i mean it's it you only have to watch the um that film 13th yeah, yeah, and and you and it, it's crystal clear, and I think you know the same thing over here. You know, when you when you have a workforce that is so cheap, there's no incentive to no. Reha- to, to rehabilitate. You know, to, well, to Ray, do anything. Ray Richardson, his wife Carolyn, she introduced me to 
a lady called Nicola White. She's a, a mudlark and she does like oh, bits. Yeah, I love and but she got in contact with guys on death row, similar to how you did, and she, she saw that a lot of those were into art and she got them to send artwork over to her and over here she puts on these little shows for the guys on death row. And with Carolyn knowing that I've, I've been in prison myself, she's put us together, she knows she knew that I'd put a few shows on. And I was saying to, to Nicola, like she's got such an uphill struggle with you know, people in general aren't willing to sort of um, give prisoners time of day. If they're in a, in another country, even less so, and if they're on death row, you know, it's it's a properly you know, hard struggle that she's got. But yeah, she still she still goes on with it and good luck to her. I'll put one in in the second face value show I had at Jealous. I put one of one of her guys went in there quite discreetly. Because um, I didn't want, I didn't want it to take away from yeah. the Katie Pipe yeah. Foundation, you know. But I wanted to include one of her guys in there who was on death row, and he submitted a, a little drawing of a of a house next to a lake, and it was a bit hard to give it to. But I gave it to do you know Scotty, the performance artist, at, at last year's boot, uh, art car boot fair. He had um, paintings that he put black text on, and I gave it to him. It's yeah. not the one who had like old fashioned paintings yeah. where he'd written yeah. big it, statements yeah, on them. Some yeah, like yeah, yeah. Facebook friends yes, aren't real yes, friends yes, and yes, stuff yes, like yeah, that. Yeah, they were great. I saw so them. I, I gave it to him thinking it'd be a, a bit of a gamble, whether it'd be sort of derogatory against the guy on death row or you know, the, the other way. What he'd done was beautiful. He got, the, he got this idyllic artwork, um, this little drawing, and he'd turned it around so that we couldn't see it. And, and the guy's name was Daniel Landy, and that's his. And that's what he done to the artwork. He turned it around and he wrote on there. Oh, I can't. If, would you read that out? I can't see it from here. Uh, this bit. The there. image on the reverse is Daniel's dream home, a utopia, an imagined space. He will never see that place, and so neither shall we. Oh. So he's turned it around so that we can't see the the image. And he's saying, well, like, you know, Daniel will never see it. He's, you know, he's on, he's on death row, so you're not going to see it. And that's how we had it framed. Oh, yeah, no, Beautiful it was. I didn't manage to see this, unfortunately. It was at Jealous, wasn't it? Yeah. It's really good. Yeah, excellent. Have you worked with Jealous? Yeah, they did a print for us. They did our print for New Art, the show at Sarchi's. They're lovely. Adam, guy there. Yeah. yeah. The, the second question, I mean, I've sort of forgot that bloody question already. <laughs> the second question is... What was your first interest in art, and who was your most influential artist around about that time? I don't think I ever consciously decided I was interested in art, and I don't think I was necessarily influenced by any major artist in that way. I was always a maker as a child. Do you know what I mean? I was yeah, that child yeah. that watched Blue Peter and then collected yeah, the matchbox yeah, and would make everything. I was a child that, as long as I was gluing and sticking and colouring things in, I was happy. I was never considered to be a great artist or have any real skill. I mean, I was scraped for an O-level in art. I, You know, no one ever said, oh, look at this child, she's gifted. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I was just a child that seeked refuge 
in making things, you know, I think because of the way my father was and things, you know, I was just happy. And my mum always made sure I had art equipment. The one thing, because she, she was a knitter, she was a prolific. She was to knitting what I, I am to mosaics. Listen, she was knitting. to knitting, she, you know, to, to what I was to, that's all she cared about knitting. She was amazing. She did it all the time. And she recognised that. So she was a mother that took me to stately homes that I hated, bored to death but she she was you know i always remember there was some weird place you could pick up crafts cheap and she always made sure that i so could is that where does is that where the mosaic kicked in no not at all point? not at all so i was a maker i was a maker but you know basically i went off to college i, I struggled at school i got about two o levels it, i think i was probably dyslexic or you know yeah, i think that yeah. I struggled. At a certain point, I just disengaged because it was well, boring. Well, it was thick then, wasn't yes. it? Well, you know, <laughs> that's, that's what I precisely. Well. My mum didn't believe in dyslexia. Yeah. She said it was a middle-class name for kids who can't spell. Yeah. And there's an arguing case that I am that child that can't spell. <laughs> but, I, I mean, I just think I, I've kind of failed at school. And I left school and uh, I was really into f fame. Not the um, TV series, but the uh, film. I'd seen that. I was obsessed with all that performance art stuff. And I found a course at the local sixth form college, Hounslow Borough College, called FIDAS, which was Films, English, Drama and Art Studies. Oh, two wow. years. And I went and I got my friend Kenneth, like, he had nothing to do. So he went and there's other guy called Neil. We were all at Chiswick. We'd all got two O levels, three O levels. Nobody knew what to do. So we all went to do this performance art course. And it was absolutely amazing. I think that probably more had a, an effect on me than anything because I went from being bored to death at school. I mean, bored with, you know, sheets about, you know, I didn't really engage, to suddenly being on a performance art where I did A-level theatre design, theatre studies, film studies, English language, English literature, and music appreciation. I had every Wednesday with a guy who sat in, in a great big glass gre uh, greenhouse type Victorian building. Well, how was you in, like 16, 17? I was 16, Indigo Kilburn. He smoked, Can you imagine if that was three or four years before? He smoked a pipe, and a music appreciation meant we had to bring in our own records and play them, we'd all appreciate them. I mean, I suddenly went to studying the Theatre of Cruelty of Arto and being taken to see the Marcus de Sade performance plays. you're looking at it in a different light. Yeah, different I mean, direction. I was just coming from, it was just like, oh my God, because they were dealing with, you know, women in distress in Alfred Hitchcock movies. Yeah, it was yeah. really, it was all arts. It was all, you know, it was, there was only about, I think, 12 of us in my year. It was, a, and then fame went on as a TV series and it exploded in the college. <laughs> but th this is, it still goes now, Fidas, and it's kind of a unique, there's loads of famous actors and actresses who've come from this course. But I did this course so I wanted to be an actress. Just in this local college, or it's just it it's national? Hounslow. It's the local Hounslow, which is just up the road. Was it just here? Yes. Or was it national? No, no. It was just this one little bohemian course that was run by these people who still run some of it. You know, I'm on Facebook with my theatre design teacher and my uh, so drama do you think teacher. That was the pinnacle point. Would you have? Do you think you'd have stayed on the course that, that you've? Well, no, now. but you see, but when I did that course, my vision was to do, I went from that course to do filmmaking at Polytechnic Central London. I wanted to be, do film. I was never interested well, in being an artist. Yeah. I was never interested in being fine artist. I never saw myself in that way. So I went off to do filmmaking. I dropped out of that course after about six months. It was very intense and I just, I just didn't do it. I dropped out, became a tax collector for a year oh. and I went travelling 
and then I came back. Just and I, when I was getting to like you. <laughs> I, and then I came back. I went. I went to India and and Nepal and America, and I travelled. And then I came back, and I thought, actually, I don't want to do film. I want to do theatre design. So I went off to Kingston and did a one-year art foundation. And I think I, at that point, I thought, well, I'll do. I wanted to do theatre design, but prior to going to that course, just in the summer, I was sexually assaulted going home late at night. And that kind of tipped me over the edge into having a nervous breakdown. Right. I tried to commit suicide. I had a whole kind of... I'd split up with my partner of five years. It was a, it was a terrible... That, so no, just before fun? that, I hadn't, you know... I'd split up with my long-time partner. I'd gone out. I'd been attacked. It's a horrendous experience. I'd kind of... I was also addicted to speed, which wouldn't have helped. Um... I'd had a nervous breakdown, I tried to cut my wrist, and then I ended up wham, on an art foundation course. And that I spent that entire year doing art therapy, not knowing I was doing art therapy, but everything yeah, I produced yeah. in that year was about being attacked. Everything. Right. Every film, if I had to design a poster for, for children, it was it had an attacker in it. Yeah. I mean, everything was a form of art therapy. I had no idea. Point, yeah. It was only when at the end, when they go, let's have a look at your portfolio, you think, oh my God. You know, that's what I did. I had no idea... But I think that is the thing that turned me into a fine artist, or turned me into an artist, because it was a it was an absolute res response to what had happened to me. And what happened is I applied to go do... I made a film called Ode to Love, which was three minutes, which was basically intercutting horror movies of that time, like Driller Killer and I Spit on Your Grave, with images of people getting married. I mean, it was quite bizarre. <laughs> I took that to Sheffield to my interview. I showed it to them. And after my interview, they said to me, uh, during my interview, they said, we're really shocked that any college would ever let you make that film. Oh. And if we had the power, we would destroy that film because it's so misogynistic. We don't think you should ever even be allowed to make that film. Wow. And, and at that time, I didn't have any ability to articulate anything. Yeah. To me, they were just insulting me. I, I, you know, I didn't understand what I was doing. And I can remember coming home and trying to put my portfolio out of a window of a train because I was so distraught. I don't know. They may well have just been wanting me to just put up a fight, but yeah, I didn't. Yeah. I was struggling because I didn't really have a voice, and my art was my voice. And so, like, do you still see that film now in the same light as when you made it? Well, I haven't watched it oh, for no, years. No, but I mean, but on, on reflection. I just know then it was just you know at the time it was just me processing things. It yeah. was you know it wasn't owed to love. It was owed to being so if, attacked. If they would have, did they? Well, no, they had no idea if what they had happened. Known, maybe they would have seen it in different. Precisely, but there right. was no way to articulate that at twenty-one and but being in that position, vulnerable. They should be able to to get all those little elements and see that. Well, I mean, it was a disastrous interview for me. I came back and my tutor said, oh, you should go second choice, go Leeds, because they do film. And, I, and it was those, that, you know, it's the, that time where you just went to your second choice, you know, you were frantic, you know. So I went to an interview at Leeds and I took this same film and the guy said to me, we don't do filmmaking anymore. Oh, fuck. I said, what do you mean? He said, we ended it. We ended film as, a, as an option two years ago. He said, we do painting, printing and sculpture. And I presumed that that's my interview over. Yeah. And I said, all right, give me a hammer and give me a chisel and I'll do fucking sculpture. <laughs> and, and they gave me, it turned out that Mick Sean, the guy, took me on. He saw me as a, you know, someone who, he was like, I think he saw me as someone who'd like stir it up a bit. Yeah, yeah. He, he, they basically accepted me. So I went on to a degree in fine art without 
ever really thinking I want to be a fine yeah, artist. Yeah. I just, by default, I ended up on a fine art degree. Just like getting off a train on the wrong platform. And I think the whole of my life is a series of happy accidents yeah. and things. I don't go, oh my God, I've got to do this. It's just like, oh, you know, my, the whole way I learned ceramics isn't because I thought, oh, I want to be a potter. I thought, I'm ignoring my child all the time because I'm a compulsive mosaic artist. I think I'll take her to family pottery because then we can do something together. Yeah. And so for six months I used to take her to this family pottery on a Saturday and I was always recovering from my Friday. <laughs> and I wouldn't do anything. I'd just sit there like yeah. trying to read a paper, having a coffee. And these lovely tutors would say, do you want to do anything? I'd be like, no, I can't bear pottery. I <laughs> know, oh, I thought I don't want to do pottery. It's just, you just make objects that gather dust. What's the point? And then it came to January, and every January I'd like clean up my act. And I went in on the January and was like, "Well, I think I do want to do something because you know I'm here." And I was like, well, "Can I do something flat? Could I do something on the front? Could I make a tile?" And they went, "Yes." Oh, I love the tile. And it's like with me, I could literally uh, it goes a light goes on. I go, oh, "God, what am I doing? I could make things that go all oh, right." And after that, I just started ignoring my child in ceramics. She yeah. Poppy would come up and go, "What do you think?" And I'd be like, "Oh no, hang on, I'm doing this. I'm doing this." And literally. Once I realised how I could apply ceramics to my own work, that was it. I signed up. I did three days a week. I was there for six, seven years, going three days a week, filling their entire kilns with ev all of my work. And they were really lovely about it. But like I'm set, you know, mine is a happy like. I go, I bumble along. I find something. I like it. I'm compulsive about it. It's the same way with mosaics. Yeah, included in your work, same it? way with mosaics. I never thought mm, I'll do mosaics. My husband, that was Poppy's father, was building the garden because he liked to do landscape gardening. He made a circle and said, why don't you mosaic that? And I'm like, really? He said, look, get these tiles, stick them down. And I'm like, okay. I did it. I spent about a week doing it. He came back out and said, oh, you've stuck them all up the wrong way. And I was like, oh, didn't you tell me this? Uh, why don't you let me do this? But anyway, I never stuck a tile wrong again. I did the garden. I did the circular thing in my garden. That was it. 20 years later, it's like, I'm mosaicing everything that's stationary for longer. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. You know, it's just, for me, it's more, it's a medium. I'll work in and I'll do and I love, but I can switch at any moment to it, to anything because for me it's just a love of finding expression through 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 making. Was there a specific piece of art that you made that pushed you off on a tangent or, or, or that you hold sort of quite dear to you? I think it's hard to know because I've been now doing this for like 20 years and doing it in varying different ways so there's there's 
you know, there's particular points in different parts of my creative point where I've gone, wow, that's, you know, that's slightly different. I mean, I, for me, my degree show, when I did my fine art degree show, I was extremely proud of my degree show. I was. I mean, I fought really hard to get the down upstairs of the entire gallery space because they have their own they had their yeah. own gallery at Leeds I fought to get that and seeing as all the work was very much about trauma and my trauma I think and I got a first the thing is is that when I did my degree show I fought against all my tutors my the head of my year had they, you know they come round to see you six weeks before you present your work and they'd come round and said that's kitsch you can't have men with dog tags they, they'd come round and suggested all these things and it's very hard to not do the things that the person who's going to give you your degree, yeah. you know. I always remember my friend Karen, who I still work with now, I'm saying, do you think I should take the dog tags off because they say this is kitsch? And she's like, well, that's the whole point of it. Yeah. Why would you do that? No, don't change your work. And so I kind of, because my work's so kind of personal and it always was very, it felt didactic. I always thought that if you went into my degree show, you would be able to know that I'd had an abortion. You'd know that I was upset about my weight. You'd know I'd had these problems. I just thought mm. it would be self-evident. Actually, it's not. Yeah. It was a learning curve when my parents came and they were like banging my work. Did you make that? That's pretty strong, isn't it? <laughs> Look at that. You made that, did you, Kerry? Good on you. It's like, you know, I suddenly realised this, you know, they don't, they can't see the inside of your soul. Yeah. I had that idea with my own work that, you know, I've always um, said it was like standing naked for me, for people to come to a show, I'd be like standing naked and thinking they're all going to see everything that's wrong with me. I did my degree show and I had an external examiners that come six weeks before you do your show. I had this one guy came and he asked me loads of questions and he said, you know, I really admire what you're doing. He said, po political work or this kind of work is very difficult to pull off. I hope you do. He went and then when I when I did my degree show, these I had that guy and another guy and they came back and they gain they gave they give you a very hard crit yeah. you don't know well are they putting your grade up are they bringing it down and and they they interviewed me and then they said oh you know well done I think it did a great job and and I knew I found out through uh, through um the technicians that basically they both gave me a hundred out of a hundred to make sure I would get a first they wanted me to have a first they thought it was a good show and for me that was a real validation because I'd been kicking against my college, who really didn't want feminist art, who yeah, really didn't yeah. want it. They'd been closed down in scandals of sex for degrees. They didn't, you know, I found it really disturbing when I was at college making my work. Because also, I named all my degree work, I had my title, and I had something that a tutor had said about it. So it was Pretty Woman. Yeah. Or, you know, one was, oh, just, you're just another woman fraternising about her womb. Or you must be a feminist like, then, like you know. That. So I had so my title, I had my title, and then what they'd said about it. And, and, you know, while I was making this work, which now when you look back at it, was again hugely cathartic art therapy. I mean, a lot of art is. You've got, you know, a vulnerable young woman who's gone to Leeds, who's making this art, and then you have tutors who say, well, you know, it's all been done before. Yeah. You know, it's nothing, you know, and you think it's, it's so... It's not too inspiring, is it? Well, no, I think, you know, I think it's very difficult. I think the art experience can be very difficult, especially if you're going against what the, the particular type of art that that yeah, college is yeah. doing. If you're outspoken, if you're doing very political stuff, I don't think necessarily tutors realise how psychological all it is, how important yeah. it is, how impressionable you are. But for me, I think in a way, 
I've always kicked against the system because I kicked against my own father. You yeah, know, I was yeah. kicking against it, and that's in a way it's what makes me more prolific or makes me do what like I do. Yeah, time. because I think fuck you, it's my work, it's my degree. I've got to stand in this space, and and I have to know that this is what I want. And so, I think it taught me. You know, I've always. You know, I it, ultimately the art is the one place where I'll go. No, I do know. I can say I'm going to be rigid about this. This is what I want it to be like. I mean, I do get loads of advice from all my friends. Go, what do you think? What do you think? But I think for me, doing my art degree was, you know, I, I was really, you know, proud of that. I mean, I really after my art degree, I, I kind of I decided when I did finished that I was never going to do art again I mean I found the whole experience yeah. quite traumatic and I, I, see, I saw something that you didn't like the f to refer to yourself as an artist and that you only done it I found I think that most people I know and most people I know struggle with the whole I'm an artist they yeah. do because it's kind of it's difficult isn't it it's quite difficult yeah. to say I'm an artist I do mean you know when that was when you did like Appre oh, not appreciate it, but when you did sort of take it on board, because I, I know now that in, in your work you put, I'm an artist, you know, your walls don't apply. The, so, so you stand by it now. Can you remember when the point when you did sort of accept it? I think, I think because I don't draw particularly and I don't paint and because I felt acutely... Um, I really felt like, you know, because I, I, that was a stumbling block. Artists can draw. I mean, even my own brother would say, you're not a real artist, are you? You can't even draw. Yeah. You know, I've seen, because of the way we think about art and go into art school, I struggled with it all. It's, mine was always more of an art therapy than a, oh, look, I can draw. I think I struggle with that whole idea. I used to feel really, you know, conscious of that fact, you know, and also because I do get people to draw things for me. I mean, now I've, you know, I take things and I manipulate them on a computer and then make them into art and things. But I think I found that really difficult. And I think that's why craft filled a space for yeah, me, yeah. because when I learned ceramics, I thought, well, I know, I, I know something. I might not be able to draw, but trust me, I know how to do yeah. slipcast ceramics and I know how to do this. And so it was a very gradual process of... Of, of having all these skills that made me feel more capable of saying it. And then they, I think it got to a point, you know, only probably a few years ago where I thought, of course I'm a bloody artist. Yeah. I've spent my entire life yeah. doing nothing but producing art of one description. And so I kind of, the, I'm an artist, your rules to... don't apply. It's almost like, whose rules? Okay, so I don't draw, I don't do this, but that's not, yeah. that doesn't matter. I suppose it's a bit like a musician who, who makes really great things by taking other people's music and mixing it together yeah, and yeah. rapping over the top, feeling very insecure because they can't read music. Well, that right. has the ability to make things that people want to hear, but they can't read music, and so they always feel a bit like, well, I'm, you're a musician. And, and so it's the same way, I think, when you're an artist. and you, I probably could draw. The thing is, is if I was to spend as amount of time I did on a craft as drawing, of course I could draw. Yeah. I can't, and so... Uh, and, and I do think that a lot of people struggle with it, and I think that people don't realise how much what you create you're psychologically or emotionally you're emotionally attached to the emotional attachment to art and their work and all of those things well now see i mean where i come from like before i went to prison i was you know i was i was a criminal I spent several years in prison 
and I'm no longer part of that thing anymore. Now I'm in the sort of art world. When I meet artists who don't know my background, I get the same feeling of sort of insecurity when I go, oh, I'll, you know, I spent years in prison. And knowing that that sort of conjures up a lot of... Yeah, but the funny thing is, is actually probably loads of artists would think that was cool. You know, well, and the thing that. is, because my friend Nick Reynolds, with his dad being the great train robber, yeah. he spent a whole lifetime not telling anyone because he thought it was embarrassing. He didn't want to be in the shadow. And then, well, no, because he thought it was, you know, he didn't want to tell people that. Yeah. And then he became a musician, and it was like, really? That's fucking. And a... isn't it ironic how his song is yeah, the um, you know, I think, theme for I, I, Sopranos? I think that the thing is, is that's why I like that whole thing about beware artists, they mix of all levels of society, and yeah. are therefore the most dangerous. I think artists do have that, you know, most artists or good artists I know are interested in the dark side are right. interested in everything do want to experience things they are those people who are free thinking but when I and, and ex-criminal and... friends of people I've known in prison and they go oh, I ain't seen you for years what are you doing there oh, 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 yeah, that must be hard one right. to do yeah, so, but it's the same feeling because mm. I feel like I've got to justify it but again I mean I feel like they're going what do you think he is you know, and, and it's the same feeling as I think what the artists go, who does he think he is, you know, trying to be part of us. And then I feel like that the, the, my old friends go, who does he think he is, being a bit of ugly station, being all, you know, being... Well, this is like my friend Laurie, who calls herself, you know, uh, AK Lady Muck, you know. She, strange, yeah, so. because she does that all like, who do you think you are, the yeah. cat's mother? Because yeah. that's what I'm saying. I think art has, an, has been elevated to a certain degree. You know, we go into a museum and we can't touch it yeah. and you feel intimidated. And so because we've put art and creativity and all these things on a pedestal, it's difficult for people like you and me who've, what, forever reasons to be going, yeah, no, I'm that person. Yeah. I am an artist. I think it's really difficult. I think the thing is, is that the people who are quite happy to walk around and say, I am an artist, are often the type that aren't really. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like... Well, I get, when, I, when I introduce myself to people, or tell old friends that I'm now an artist, introduce myself to people to say I'm an ex-prisoner, ex ex-criminal, I don't know what their thoughts are, so I only have to presume by that instant when I tell them, you know, by our little flickers in their eye or what questions they might ask next. It's only that I, when I've spoke to other friends, and they go, oh, I bumped into Mickey so-and-so. He was saying, you're nice, how cool is that? And he was, and like, they've looked at me online and stuff. And then, so you do realise that... Of course you are, I'm though. Thinking, of course you yeah. are, but it's a personal evolution, isn't it? And it's like part of our... You know, I've been in therapy for three years, and literally nearly three years, been seeing the same therapist who's helped me immensely. I was about to say, is it? No, I, I have, so. I have. I think that, and I think Bob has helped me in, in ways, because Bob is very um, articulative and about, you know, you know, he kind of em embraces the fact that he's an artist and that, you know, we'll talk about it in a really positive way. Well, everyone wants to be an artist. You've got to understand that. Yeah. And we're like, really? Do they? Or, See, or, I, when or, I talk and, about it, you know, I, I talk in a... We well, talk about it. No, precisely. But what I think you kind of it rubs off on you who you're around and things and 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 you know Bob doesn't have those issues. He's not, you know, he isn't led by his emotions. He's kind of he's pragmatic and he's quite confident. And so you know, in one way where he says it, I'm like, okay, well, I you know, I'm you know, I'm coming behind you. I can yeah. say it. And I think. You know, I think it is a difficult thing. Now I would say it. Now I kind of am proud of it. Now I feel like I've earned the right yeah. to say it. Do you know what I mean? But I'm telling you, when I was putting up the back of my house, one of the few people, there's only ever been about a handful on one hand of people who've said to me, while well, I'm installing my house, I don't like it. But when I was doing the back, 
this guy walked over and he didn't even stop to have the conversation. He was just shouting abuse. He was going, you call that art? You call that art? You think you're an artist? You're not an artist. You're not an artist. How dare you call yourself an artist? And I was like, was, uh, and I was like going, but I haven't even said I'm an artist. <laughs> I mean, this was a point when I was still wrestling with the idea yeah. of it, you know. Where do you reckon he was coming from with that? I don't know. I don't know. Listen, there's very few people that dislike it, but when they do, they really dislike yeah. it. You know, I mean, I know that they probably, I think they tried to get a petition when I first started really? doing it, but there wasn't enough signatures. I think but if that, I was painting it, I think if I'd painted my house, I don't think... There's a legality there, isn't there? But painting, I don't think... You have to get permission from the council to paint your no, house, but you don't have to... I don't know about painting. Mosaic. They've changed the laws over the time. You know, where the stick is on, the, on my garage, that had all our graffiti on it, and the council one day, they sent someone to paint it. Without my knowledge, yeah. I turned up and they were painting my house. And what are you doing? They said, well, it's, now the, the, literally the council owns your property. I mean, uh, you know, they did, they did. They painted my garage without my permission. Well, the picture frame, there's a, a phone shop I use in, in Romford called the Picture Frame Gallery. And Mark is very close friends with uh, Ryan, uh, Riker. And they put something up on... Oh, is that where he did, painted the side of it? Yeah. With, like, the... Um, with a, with with, a, yes. yes, 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 I saw it. And I haven't spoke to Mark yet. I, did, I, did, I haven't been meaning to phone him the last couple of days. But I saw, he, put, he put a little something on social media um, saying that the council have demanded that he takes no it down. No way. Mm. I mean, he's in quite an affluent area, but in, in the area where he is, in Haver, in Romford... Um, but that's what I mean. How can they... I mean, he should fight that. They, they paid, um, or not the council, but, but funds were, were brought forward to get Ben Ein to, to do something up there. And then, you know, Riker's doing, and it's, it's only a, a mile away um, on, on the side. But I would argue, I would fight that, because yeah. why shouldn't you? The thing, my argument... I don't know whether, it's been, whether we had to take it down. I'm sure it was like the 16th of April, the 26th of April, he had, from the letter he put up online, yeah, he would I'm have sure had... he said <sighs> he's got to take it down or paint over it. No. And I don't know what's happened since. The thing is, is why not? If he had an advert there, he'd probably be allowed yeah. to. If well, he were put a big little, billboard... He's got two little billboards that have been there for, for donkeys, you know. Okay. Like, well, I think the thing is, is that we're now... They know about space, they know about art, and it's very controlled but my house i started sticking tiles on this house over 20 years ago so there's nothing they I mean, can houses do have always had, well, the old houses have always had a tile path like you've got tiles on the i know but this i mean i even i i mean it was a long time but when we took the scaffolding down even now every time i turn in the street and see my house i think oh my god it's like it's been it, on acid isn't it's it? Like, it's, it's so bright it? it's so it's... bright it's so like oh my god it's the kind of you know it really is the um i think it's all influenced from i used to lo listen obsessively to joseph's coat and his main multi colors yeah, 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 or something yeah, yeah. i mean it is it is this vision but neighbors like it don't they most of them do I so mean the thing is they put the it they did put it out they did do an article on the Daily Mail and I had about 300 people saying that I should be shot and taken to the council and I hated mean, it yeah, I mean you mean a, a back street in Chiswick well Chiswick does have a history of accepting kind of the odd eccentric we had a person but it's also got a history of being arts. very middle class oh yeah well it's and... very art and crafts look you've got the whole art and craft district yeah. with William Morris yeah. Hogarth was here. There was an elderly lady who lived in a car for 20 years She's up around the road. Right. I mean, there is that kind of culture. And, you know, when I'm on a back street, you've got to understand that the person who lives opposite me doesn't live there now, Mary. She'd been there 40 years. She 
she got me to mosaic the front of her house. Mm. There's a little bit of grass. She said, if they come after you, Carrie, they'll have to come after me. Yeah. Two doors down is Tom, who lived upstairs. His mother lived there. Her granny lived there. You know, my dad's had this house for 50 years. It's, you know, and, and mosaics are slow. You have to stick them up. Yeah. Everyone walks by. I they see you doing it. More, uh, I got listen, bike. listen. <laughs> that was it up there for years, wasn't it? Those scaffolding guys were lovely. They were friends of Nick Reynolds. I know them through Alabama Free. He said, "Don't worry, we'll do you scaffolding. We won't charge you anything. We'll just just give us three fifty. You can have it as long as you want." So after two years, he said, I'm getting hate mail, Carrie. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Well, they, said, up, they said, we're getting emails saying, when are you going to take that scaffolding yeah. away? And every time I see them, every the... time I see them uh, an Alabama free gig about every six months, <laughs> I'd be like, I'm ever so sorry. Yeah, sorry and man. Nick would always say, they've nearly done it. They've nearly done it. And I'm thinking, I haven't even started. Well, and when then I, I came here two years ago, you said, by the end of the summer, oh, that's no, going to be oh, no, I know, I know. So it was four years, and when they took it away, you know, when those, we had all those people from around the world finish it, the scaffolding was so bad, the wood had rotten so yeah. much that we had planks over planks, you could walk through it. It was the most <laughs> dangerous, dangerous uh, ever. And, and literally, when he came, he said, they're going to have to throw away all these planks. I actually gave him a really beautiful bonnet. A mosaic bonnet to make up because yeah, I thought yeah. I've had this for four years. It's and I might want them to do my back yet. So, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it was it was. But the thing is, is like that's what I'm saying. I'm not that kind of artist that goes right. Okay, in six months I'm going to have this show. I'm going to do this. I'm just led by experience. I'm and, led and when by. You, when you have got a show coming up. Are you prepared for that show long before, no, or, or are you? Everything's last I minute. Make, yeah, honestly. Every I don't have time. I've literally I've I've realised now that I don't have enough time, and I need to make more time because it's not so enjoyable when it's yeah. rushed. But you know, but it's like I find that I get the best bit done under that pressure yeah. right on the last. Well, the thing day. is, it doesn't matter how long you have because you don't start it, no, do you? You just it leave normally, it. You leave it. it. Doesn't normally. The pot at the but end. The, the the reason I had scaffolding up for so many years is because I split up with my partner. There was a period of time where, literally, I split up with the father of my kids. My my mother had died a couple of years previously. I went into kind of the menopause. I, I, you know, it was a really hugely traumatic time, and also I suddenly had to become not only a full time parent but financially responsible for my kids yeah. it was like oh there was a couple of years where i was just got, got, adjusting got up, uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> there were a couple of years when it was just it was it was a struggle just to keep up with it yeah. all emotionally you know it's traumatic those things are like i couldn't mosaic the front of the house i couldn't do it because I, I you know my partner had designed the lower half of this house we were in a fight for a year about whether he should draw the yeah, top yeah. you know it was difficult i couldn't really envision how the house would be because he'd had been instrumental well, was, in designing all of a, it if you look at it as an artwork it was a collaboration yes. to start with and it sort of it's always been a, it's always been a collaboration but it was very you know uh, my my partner at the time then Thayen had had you know together we'd decided on things and he'd drawn it and that was the way it was and so I had this real to be honest I had this kind of overwhelming um lack of confidence I was like how am I going to do this what am I going to do I can't do this it's all too much and and literally it was because the only reason it really got finished in one sense is because my wonderful friend Isadora the Chilean artist I'd worked with who was then in Germany she said I'll give you a week 
let me i said look well i'll give you and this you window to, to I, I but well, i said it? i said look you can have this window she said don't worry leave it to me i'll do it i'll come over and i'll give you a week and when i had isadora it's like everyone wants to work with isadora so then i said who wants to come and that's when like 20 people came you know lots of people had all worked with us when we'd done this chili hole project in 2014 they came and so suddenly there was this energy mainly women who all knew the circle, like, look. And so, in a way, I was able to direct it. It went a bit off piece. It went a bit like, you know, yeah. it just ended up. But it was the most, one of the most enjoyable experiences ever. Because you, you know. put out a, a call out to people who were sort of non eyes or non Yeah, I mean, because there were people there, listen, there was were people. It, was it an eye out or something you asked people? Yes, to people draw? to make an eye. Yeah, make an eye, send it in, and it's, it's going on my wall. But because I just wanted it finished. Yeah. I wanted to end to it. I wanted to be able to, A, open my bedroom windows after four years. I wanted the light to come in. I didn't even realise what it meant yeah. until the scaffolding came down. I mean, you had those artists come and help you. The last question on the list is if there was five artists, past and present, that you could show with or work with, who would they be? Mm, very difficult. I'd really like to meet Nikki de Safal. I'm probably not saying her name right, but she's the one who was, she was always, she was an artist that I discovered when I was at, on my degree and thought, wow. You know, she's the one who ended up working in Tuscany, building in a whole mosaic environment. She had up to 100 people under her guidance and she's built the entire um, kind of magical mosaic gardens, what are they called? I can't remember now, because I'm terrible with names. I'd really like to uh, uh, to meet her. I'd probably quite like to hang out with the people from New York, all the kind of early graffiti pioneers. Yeah, yeah. I would, like Basquiat, who's not going to want to kind of hang out with him for a while. I think all of that would have been a kind of a cool time. But I don't really know. It's really hard. Who's it you like at the moment? Even when you see their work online or whatever, it's sort of. I think I think I'm such an experience-based person, and and I spend so much of my time being creative that it's usually whoever I've just hung out with. So I've yeah, just been yeah. to new art. I've just been working alongside those artists, and then you think, oh God, I've got such respect for you lot. They they do really cool things, and so I, I'm more like that. I mean, I do like Grace and Perry's work. I like certain people's work, but you know. I rarely ever go to exhibitions. Yeah. I rarely ever go out of my way to see people's work. I really don't like seeing work in galleries. I find it really, like, I can't bear crowds. I can't oh, bear queuing to see anyone's work. You know, those people's work. I kind of admire people not just for their work, but their work ethic or what they've done. I mean, some people have extreme... The people that are famous generally have extremely good marketing skills and PR skills and financial skills. Them, yeah. yeah, like Damien Hurst or, you know... But, you know, I'd have loved to have gone to the factory and met, yeah. you know, I would. I'd love to to, to see that. Because I've always been very interested in pop art as well. The pop art and... Um, all of that type of time when advertising, when they started using, you know, ordinary but things. But it was sort of non-conformist, wasn't yes. it? Was, it yes, yes. They broke new ground. But, you know, prior to that, I was always into how's, is it how's Balmer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I liked all the surrealist and the Dardarist stuff. I mean, I suppose that's the, from that period onwards, I kind of like stuff. I'm not really interested in the Moat, you know, yeah. all of that kind of expressionistic type of stuff. I like. If you wasn't an artist, what what do you think you would be? Or 
if you had to stop now or if you decided to stop? I would never stop, I don't think, because if I was to stop creating, I think my mental health would disintegrate. I think the two are intrinsically linked. I know that I get very depressed and I get I find it hard if I have to spend a lot of my time on admin or lots of my time doing something else. If it, I need to make I, I need I need it because it's my therapy is to sit there and get in a zone and be happy and I think that it stops me from having stress related illnesses. Yeah. I think it's well know, if you wasn't making the work you if make, I wasn't yeah. making the work but like you were saying earlier about uh, pottery yeah you know, I mean I think uh, the only the thing is is the only thing I, I would love another life just so I could get, do textiles I'd like to subvert textiles in the same way that I have ceramics. And so, and and also, oh, everything could opposite. work together. Everything could, because when I'm I'm artist in residence for Shakespeare's Birthplace Trust, a lot of the work I'm doing there isn't just ceramics. I'm trying to do textile-based things yeah. because I love it. Because it's the same type of appropriation and the same kind of way you can subvert it. I think if I had another, if I didn't hadn't done visual art, I probably would have ended up in film. I would have liked to have been a singer on the stage, but I'm absolutely <laughs> shit at singing my friends have said look if you could sing we'll put you on the stage and then they heard me singing like you're you shit so and i can't play anything so the music side would have gone it would have always been and you played a tambourine. it would always be creative i think because whenever i've done jobs i can do them i was a care worker i was a tax collector i hated it it sucked the very soul out of my yeah. life i would tick these days off on a calendar you know, I just, you know, I found it, you know, I always ended up just not doing it. I could, but I think it would always be in a creative capacity. And if I wasn't creative, if it wasn't film, if it wasn't theatre, if it wasn't textiles, I would have ended up in a caring, caring type yeah. of job. That would have been my other, because uh, I've done that. I've done 10 years of community art. And you've got loads of little quotes on your walls and in your work. What do you reckon you'd have on your tombstone? And would it be, I suppose it'd be a mosaic tombstone. What would you have? Probably, I was an artist and your roles didn't apply. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Excellent place to finish it off. Thank you. Well, there you go. How about that? Carrie Reichart. What a great person, artist, personality. What a great everything. I love Carrie Reichart. And if you listen to last week's episode, aren't Carrie and Bob just bloody made for each other? And if you're going to the Art Car Boot Fair over in King's Cross next week, Carrie and Bob have got a stall there. So pop over, say hello, tell them you listen to them on the Mizzle Art Podcast. And if you're able, buy something. And also at the Art Car Boot Fair this year are several other artists that we've got lined up for the Mizzle Art Podcast. Now with the list of artists in front of me that we've got lined up, um, I'll just go through it to tell you some of them that will be at the Art Car Boot Fair, and you can go and purchase a piece of their work. Now, I'm going to go through the list here. I may miss one or two, because I've got 60-odd artists lined up here. And if I do forget you, and don't call you out here, I apologise. But we have Jessica Albarn, Charming Baker. I'm pretty sure Charming is on uh, Jealousy's stall. We've got Ryan Callanan, Riker. Nina Mae Fowler, Paul Kindersley, Kate Knight. MC, is, is MC there? I can't think. MC Lemus might be, maybe not. Barry Rygate. I know that James Unsworth's there. Scotty, he may be with him, James's husband. And I think that's about it of the artists we've got um, confirmed here. I apologise if I've missed anyone off. 
I'll mention more about the Art Car Boot Fair in next week's episode, which I think may be James Gray, uh, which may be a sort of double episode of James Gray and Cafe Art. James Gray is a homeless artist, or he was until uh, until very recently, and Cafe Art championed James and helped him along his way. So that's going to be a beautiful little episode next week. So please do spread the word about the podcast. It's growing and growing each week. Um, I'm getting you know some nice bits of love coming back to me after each episode. And if you listen via iTunes, you could subscribe or like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. Sorry, that was me just nicking Adam Buxton's jingle that's implanted in my brain every time I think of like and subscribe. Or every time I mention my wife. My wife. Anyway, you can subscribe and like over at iTunes. You can contact me on social media um, at MizogArt, M-I-Z-O-G-A-R-T. Or you can email me, good old email, at podcast at MizogArt.com. And as I say, please do spread the word. Until next week, toodle pip, ta-da. 